Hi, listeners. Welcome to another Loose Cannon podcast. Have you guys heard about the situation in Shanghai? Some people in some areas of that city haven't been allowed to leave their apartments in about 40 days. Um, this is a story that is way, way underreported, uh, given the gravity and just the insanity of the situation. Um, you know that expression, the cure is worse than the disease. Well, that pretty much summarizes what the Chinese government is doing to its own people, you know, its own economy, its own society in the pursuit of so-called zero COVID. Um, you know, this indefinite lockdown of tens of millions of people imprisoned in their homes can't go out the door for literally no good reason. And it's been going since um, early March. And, and there are real problems getting worse and worse in terms of availability of food, denial of medical care to people, like medical care for, you know, everything, not just denial of medical care to people who have tested positive to COVID with mild symptoms who are being dumped in quarantine centers where they're probably going to get sick from there being no showers and nowhere clean to sleep. Ever since this started, I've been wondering why it isn't getting more attention. I guess it's because of Ukraine, but to me, it's all highly, highly disturbing. And this is a dystopian nightmare happening right before our eyes to 26 million people in Shanghai and surely in other cities as well with less attention being paid to them. Um, so it's great. I was able to get Human Rights Watch senior researcher Yachu Wang to come and talk us through this. Yachu, thanks for talking to me today from New York. Thank you for having me. So... Uh, let's go to the latest in the situation. I have seen some mm -hmm. really harrowing footage on that's been posted on Twitter from, I guess, filmed from people's balconies in Shanghai. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What is your understanding about what is happening now in terms of access to food and how people are responding to this? I can't imagine everyone's quietly complying. Well, I think, first of all, what do we see? You just a tip of the iceberg and it's already massive you know people were they were showing pictures of getting terrible vegetables or they're saying you know i only ate one bag of instant noodle in two days uh, you know people are complaining and they're frustrated and they're very fearful you know they were like it's 21st century it's in shanghai am i going to die from starvation and, you know, those are just some of the people. Then, you know, if you're really suffering, a lot of people are not going to go online to complain, right? So then there are the people we don't see. Then there are also the people who don't have access to, you know, WeChat or, you know, a, a phone. Like, you know, they don't know how to use it, especially among the older people. Right. So I think, you know, what we see is already very, very bad and, and it's massive. And there are a lot of things we, we don't see. Is it? other cities as well i mean or i'm yeah, just curious about I mean, why it's shanghai that's getting all, all the focus yeah you know similar things are happening in changchun in jilin province and uh, you know changchun is also a big city then there are smaller places like really in yunnan really has been in lockdown for over a year or two 
you know, but we don't hear from them because, you know, uh, the people who have a voice, who have a microphone on the internet, are the people who live in Shanghai. They're the journalists, they're the writers, they're the foreign correspondents. You know, you even if you're a person in really you are suffering terribly, you open a Twitter, or you open a Weibo account, you shout into the void, right? Because mm. nobody is following you. You don't have a voice. So where where is the place that was that you're saying has had a kind of lockdown for a year? What what what's that? It's in really really in Yunnan province. It's a border town, uh-huh. and uh, they had uh, cases because of people who were entering China uh, into Yunnan. Right. Yeah, Yunnan was uh, is bordering Myanmar. So I mean, tell me what you think of my non-expert take on this. I mean, I've been to China. I've tried to study Mandarin a little bit, but it's obviously a non-expert take. So. The only reason it seems to me for doing this is that the you know the regime, for whatever reason, is unable to say we need a change in approach because with Omicron, what worked nicely before doesn't work anymore. So let's do things differently now. So because this apparently would mean losing face, or for some reason they can't do it, they need to double down on this kind of madness. What's your take on this? I agree. I think you know because they made it a political issue. You know, they were saying the U.S. had this chaotic response. Over a million people died. You know, the country was suffering terribly. But look at China. We chose a different approach. You know, we did this strict draconian uh, lockdown. We protected people's life. You know, the American version of democracy, the American version of human rights, isn't working. Our version of governance is working, so you know our governance is more effective. is a better way of you know governing the country. So this became an ideology. So it's very hard to walk back from that ideology because it's no longer about health. You know, it's about right. Our system is better than your system. You know, it's about quoting using the U.S. term like owning the U.S. Right. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's not not anymore about health or yeah the welfare of the people at all. Yeah. Yeah. Also, I think you know, Xi Jinping has become more and more you know a one. China has become more and more a one man rule, and Xi Jinping makes the decisions. And uh, you know, uh, to what extent the people around him. Are, are, can tell the truth, are telling him the truth, you know, to what extent medical experts' opinions are being uh, considered, you know, I think it's less and less so given China's, you know, political tra- trajectory. And to what extent the Xi Jinping is getting the right information, you know, we don't know. But I think the trend is, you know, it's, it's getting more and more closed off on all kinds of things. You know. mm. And as far as you understand, is there any anyone in authority at the city level, you know, at the local level, at the provincial level, who's saying, well, you know, we're only getting like one person here and there who's actually severely ill. Everyone else is fine, mild or asymptomatic. It, you know, is anyone at that level saying, hang on, this is not the best way to use our resources? Like, is, is there is anything like that happening at the local level? I haven't seen anything. I don't think any official has come forward and saying this is not right uh, mm-hmm. approach there might be some discussions within the government but uh, you know it's not public and there was this famous doctor Zhang Wenhong uh, he's a expert on 
in uh, infectious disease. And he said, you know, we might have to live with COVID. And then he got terribly trolled on the internet. And right, right. last time the government had a press conference, he didn't show up and everybody was like, where did he go? Right. So in terms of Xi Jinping being a one-man band, you're saying that there's sort of no mechanism for an another view to get to him or or it's that you know he he personally has a particular uh, obsession about this or do we know I, I think probably first of all it's all speculation you know yeah. i have no inside information but yeah. i think probably both you know every time when a you know a dictator amass more and more power than you know the people who are who share who are able to be critical uh usually you know disappear or purged or demoted you know it's always this isn't you know just about china you know if we look at the history it's always like that yeah does it remind you of other periods in china's recent past like uh during the mao period for example yeah i mean the great leap forward you know everybody knew people were starved to death all the statistics are made up right but still it lasted for three years cultural revolution too right it's such a chaotic period people were you know uh, persecuted to death but uh, it lasted you know 10 years mm -hmm. so what do you know about so okay one of the videos i saw was a, a drone uh, going around mm -hmm. uh, with some kind of announcement it was being mm -hmm. filmed from someone's balcony and it was saying control mm -hmm. your soul's desire for freedom um do they feel threatened is there, is there some kind of uh response that they're worried about from the population well i think you know i i wouldn't read too much into that sentence uh -huh. like freedom when we think about freedom it's you know desire for freedom in the political sense i think that no, they mean yeah, I leave that your idea. apartment <laughs> yeah yeah exactly i think you know from the west we always try to read like people have you know wants to revolt or something like that you know it's i think in that we that in that message is more about just leaving your apartment mm. so okay so we've got what are the the main concerns we've got people can't get food supplies we've got what else we've got denial of medical care yeah i think that's a huge problem and just in the past several days i saw very privileged people their their parents were dying you know, Lang Xianping, he's a famed economist, and Liu is a famed writer. And I think both of their, one of their parents died because they could not access medical care because they couldn't leave their apartment. Uh, you know, those are very, very privileged, well-known people, and this is happening to them. Then think about the people who uh, died from lack of access to medical care. Uh, you know, there must be a lot of them and like this this person how, how do you know like how did this information get out oh the long champion is a famous economist and everybody he has millions of followers uh -huh. on weibo and he said you know my dad he's 90 something i, I don't, quite, don't quite remember his mother or father uh he had a uh lung or kidney issue that the was uh, chronicle, but it wasn't a big issue. So it was always treatable in the past, but this time he couldn't leave his apartment. Then because of that 
infection or something that is usually very treatable, they wasn't get treated, then he died. I mean, Liu Liu, the, the, the famed writer, it's a similar situation. I think her mother died because she couldn't get to the hospital for some minor issue that could have been treated. I think one of the, the was because they didn't have a negative COVID test and that was a precondition for to be admitted into the hospital. Right. So there's a kind of zealotry there. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, absolutely. For the hospitals, for you know those community officers, like they follow the uh, the, the the orders. If you don't have a net, uh, medical, if you don't have an active COVID test, you cannot enter the hospital. And then there was the incident. Uh, you know, one guy, his dad was vomiting blood, and he went to the hospital. And then the security guard said, uh, "If you don't have a COVID, I don't care about anybody die being." dying if you don't have a negative covid test you cannot enter the hospital then the the man's son said uh how about me stabbing you to death and i don't care how's that <laughs> then because you know he literally threatened to kill the guy mm. then his father was able to admi be admitted to the hospital and then to be treated right and this is uh, this is out on weibo this kind of story yes yes and the guy was talk uh he was talking about his story on wechat Mm -hmm. Then there's always a mother whose teenage daughter was high fever and you know, they couldn't leave the compound. Uh, you know, they, she, she, she couldn't get the daughter to get, get, get a COVID test, which is a prerequisite for getting admitted to the hospital. Then she threatened the, the community officer said, I'm going to jump off my balcony if you don't you know, come to get my daughter tested and sent to the hospital then that's how there are many such stories and that's how people get their loved one treated like by threatening their own lives or threatening you know the security guard's life right and then we have the on top of all this we have that if you do test positive even if you might not be sick um, but you test positive um you're taken to some kind of quarantine center, which is like, what have you heard about those? Well, it, you know, you're taken to Fangcang. It's the makeshift hospital and the conditions. I saw some pictures. It was just horrible, horrible, you know. And then, you know, people were saying, I've been there like, no, I'm out. I, you know, uh, when we're talking about this, you know, this didn't, wasn't what I was thinking it was because, yes, yeah, it's a hospital horrible but there are more horrible things like people are dying mm. so like going staying in that uh, makeshift hospital isn't that bad even that bad like for 14 or 21 days mm. but still i mean in the ski i mean it, it's 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 completely unnecessary it's you know those people could just be isolated at, at home but they were taken to those centralized uh, places I mean, just on a personal level, I mean, if you're feeling unwell, the last place you want to be is in somewhere like that where you can't be comfortable and rest. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's just obvious that you need to let people rest and recover. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You know, just let them stay at their own apartments. Yeah. Um, and, and what is the... What is behind the food issue? Is that just that there is no deliveries or just can't i think there i think you know the, the system is just not capable to handle 
like everybody have a need to have food delivered to to their places like literally everyone yeah. right yeah. so, so like markets no are not system, open yeah yeah no system can handle that here in australia and in new zealand <laughs> we flirted with this kind of zealous approach um mm -hmm. we we did implement it in some places mm -hmm. i mean there was a, in some quarters almost a kind of admiration for the china style of authoritarian mm -hmm. measures in western australia they seemed very reluctant to abandon it as well mm -hmm. um i'm not sure if you've followed that aspect of yeah. how australia dealt with COVID. yes i have a colleagues in australia and they have a very different experience from me being in america yeah mm, yeah um would i mean do you find it difficult to i suppose make a human rights critique when you have people who are saying oh but you know the right to life the right to health is very important and the chinese government has done very well and i see now i see your uh, your point i think you know at a human rights watch we never said you know this is the right way of doing the quarantine we're more you know emphasized on things that it could have been done and could have been achieved you know first of all don't censor people right mm. people can criticize the government it, right now it's not only like you know criticism of the of shanghai government's approach is censored people are asking for help they're dying like you know i want food i wanted to be treated for my urgent condition and those messages are censored right mm -hmm. so no sense there shouldn't be censorship and there should be you know ensure access to medical care and th th there are things that we don't have to like really you know be so specific of a, this is the right way of doing quarantine this is not the right way of addressing the COVID situation but then there's still a lot of space and there are a lot of things the Chinese government could have done differently um, you know, I think we need, we can't just focus on things that could have been done differently, could have been achieved that, uh, you know, can better human rights. I don't know whether, am I making sense? Yeah, absolutely. Uh -uh. What is Human Rights Watch doing or what, you know, what are you able to do? Well, given, you know, Human Rights Watch has been sanctioned by the Chinese government, uh, we are being very careful of not uh, of contacting people inside China to get their stories. So mostly we just check on the Chinese social media and try to verify the information as best as we can. So the deal, I suppose, that people always talk about, you know, or analysts of, you know, historians of China always talk about is that, you know, the, 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 the Deng Xiaoping reforms were about letting people get rich. And mm -hmm. as long as you just don't talk about politics and let the Communist Party maintain its uh, monopoly on power, then we let you get rich and live a nice life and have a good standard of living. and that's how the deal works. So mm -hmm. do you think this is some kind of fundamental break with that? It just seems to be sort of the first time when that deal might be, I don't know, being broken. I definitely don't think this is the first time. I've been doing this job for over 10 years. Uh -huh. There are many, many moments people were feeling, you know, it's not working. I wanted my rights. Like two years ago when the COVID happened, you know, Li Wen, the Dr. Li Wenliang was silenced. At that moment, people felt, oh, freedom of speech is important, mm -hmm. right? Had he were given the chance to talk about it, had the, the media report on this issue, you know, we might have seen a different result rather than it's a, uh, you know, 
the governor could have done much, could have uh, taken measures much earlier. So at that time, there was eruption, you know, on the Chinese social media demanding freedom of speech. Then there, you know, in the past, there are train crashes, plane crashes, there are earthquakes, all those crises made people feel, you know, I want my rights, like rights is important. And this happened because we didn't have rights. And, you know, people died in the third time earthquake. So many children died because of the short, shoddy constructions of schools and the parents felt, you know, like this is completely injustice. I want to, I, I demand justice, you know, and they were silent. So there are many emergency crises happened before. And usually during those crises, people felt, oh, I want my human rights. I want democracy. Mm-hmm. But then it's always, then the censorship came. Then, you know, the repression is so severe, you know, people have to move on. Like, you know, I came from the country. So I know how it feels psychologically. When you know that there's no exit, you try to rationalize, you know, this is the way it is. There's no way I can fight back. Why not just believe what the government told me? Mm-hmm. It's just easier that way. Yeah. It's easier to live your life, yeah. right? Otherwise, you know, like life would be feeling so depressed. You'd yeah. rather just bought the government's idea of you know economic development to just give up my my rights. I think this is sometimes I feel, you know, people who live in freedom, they don't understand how you know, the psychology, how the psychology plays a role in how people think and do things in repressive places. Yeah. Do you think it's um, more difficult now for expressions of public discontent um, than say, I don't know, 10 years ago? I mean, you mentioned the earthquake. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. This is so obvious. And why is that? By doing this job. Well, because the punishment is much severe. Mm-hmm. You know, in let's say in 2013, 2012, people, everybody was on Weibo talking about stuff, corruption. Of course, nobody can, nobody at that time could criticize the top leadership. They, that was always banned. You could not talk about Tiananmen and stuff, but you could still talk about the local corruption, right? And then the, you know, you your account gets suspended, removed, things like that. And sometimes you get harassed and the worst people, you know, the, the, the dissidents, the activities, some of them get jailed. But now, like even as a regular citizen and you say the local police are dogs, you can go to, you know, detention center for seven days or 15 days. It used to be those people are not targeted. And then, you know, it used to be that the Chinese government doesn't really care about what you say on Twitter because Twitter is blocked, Facebook and Twitter are blocked. But mm-hmm. now they are, they are, they have been coming up to Chinese citizens who are on Twitter. Even you have like 10 followers, like you just said, a communist party is horrible. Then you can be sent to jail. So the repression has gone so much worse. Right. And at the same time, you do mention that there are various um, stories that people do put up on like the, the guy whose parents were dying or whatever that do get put up and they obviously don't care. They put it up on Chinese social media. And so that they are willing to, I guess, take the risk that someone will come for them. I think there are two things. One is that, you know, they're talking about, they're talking about their parent, like mm-hmm. your parent died. That is so such a egregious, uh, painful event you know mm-hmm. people take risks because 
their loved one died. Like yeah. you don't care at that point. I'm too painful. I have to talk about it. On the other hand, you know, talking about a set of stories is different to, from to directly saying, you know, the government's COVID response is wrong, right? You are more talking about, I can't get food. My mother died. You know, you're not saying the government is wrong and the government should take responsibility for my mother's death. These are two different things. Right. And, and like the, for example, the footage that I saw of people, I think, looting a supermarket. Is that, yeah, yeah is that something that is common or unusual or is what's, what's your understanding of that? Well, I think it's understandable in this kind of situation. You're so desperate that you don't know how long this will, you know, this situation will continue. So people want to get as much food as they want. I mean, I, I, I never seen like people looting uh, like a grocery store in Shanghai before. I don't, right. I know, I don't think this is a, something that people do like in Shanghai. Like, yeah. I, I don't think people had a mentality of like a scarcity or shortage before. And I think this will change after, you know, this episode. How do you see this going? Like, what's the end game? I just struggle to see <laughs> anything being achieved in terms of zero COVID. So where do you see this heading? I mean, the government, Shanghai government already, you know, allowed certain areas of the city that has, you know, no or low uh, numbers of infections to leave their compound. So there are some kind of relaxation. But then, you know, at the same time, we are hearing, I think, in other areas, like the government was trying to institute more control. I really don't know. And I think, you know, the system has become more repressive. And I think the, the, the information the leadership is getting is more, you know, more uh, controlled uh, or one-sided. So we will see what happens. I know people in, in China were like asking me, do you have any information about what's going on in my country? Like they, because They're asking they were, you. Yeah, wow. Yeah, because like they live in the Great Fire War. So they are very fearful because they, they worry like, I don't get the information. Like they were asking, how many months of food should do I? Do you think I should store, right? Mm. <laughs> because they are aware that they are they are not getting information because of the censorship. And uh, I guess to wind up, I'm curious: how does one become a, a a China expert for human rights watch? Like, what's the the path that leads you to to where you are today? Well, I grew up in China and I went through the education system and I didn't like that I could not speak my mind. I think that's probably the biggest reason. Also, I think, you know, I was born the third child of my family and we suffered because I was illegally born and I felt the stigma and then, then I realized being born isn't something wrong with me and the system was wrong. Then, you know, that's how I became a human rights activist. And you obviously had a, an opportunity um, to come to the U.S. and study it. Is that right? Yes. Um, I came here for graduate school and I intended to go back to China uh, because at that time, you know, this, there are NGOs in Beijing and big cities. They're doing great work to help migrant workers, things like that. And I felt I wanted to be part of that. Then the country just became more and more repressive and I felt 
you know, using my voice outside the country. It's less risky and I can still do something. Yeah. And, uh, you know, in the past several years, it has been a, a very, very sad time to see friends going to jail. Yeah. One so after you, another. So you've had a, friends actually um, imprisoned for like speaking their mind, is it? Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's, it's, it's harrowing. Um, yeah. It's like, those are the most courageous people and they're, you know, the best for the country. And then now they're silenced and they're in jail. And, and what, what were the issues that they spoke out about? Migrant workers, children of migrant workers, uh-huh. you know, people with disabilities. Those are not even sensitive issues. Right. Like, and they, because, you know, they try to help the people of less privileged people and that got them into jail. Then not to mention the ones who used to write about democracy, you know, wants to demand the constitutional reforms. Of course, those are already in jail. Well, look, I really appreciate the time. Uh, late in Thank the evening. Thank you for having me. Yeah, and uh, yeah. hopefully you can come to Australia sometime. And yeah, I was actually bought a ticket going to Australia before the pandemic. Ah, really? Yeah. <laughs> well, things are open again, so yeah, please do come. Yeah, yeah, I hope so. Thanks for joining us on Loose Cannon. Please do get in contact. The email address is loosecannonpod at gmail.com. My Twitter is at Jono Loose Cannon, J-O-N-O, Loose Cannon, or one word. Parnell's Twitter is in the show notes as well. Uh, I'd like to hear from people on guests to have on and uh, join us again next time. Mm-hmm.